This is from Solomon's Song of Songs. She, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Friends, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. She, how right they are to adore you. He, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. She, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. He, the beams of our house are cedars. Our rafters are firs. She, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. He, like a lily among thorns, is my darling among the young women. She, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Thank you, Lenore. Well, this is a series that I wanted to do back at the start of 2020. And then we went into lockdown and I felt very uncomfortable doing it on, in online streaming. So uh, I put it off and here we are looking at it now. So over the next uh, four or five weeks, we'll be looking at Song of Songs with a gap in the middle. Let's get straight into it and not waste any time. The book opens Solomon's Song of Songs. The Jewish scholars often thought of this song as the greatest of all songs. It was the song of songs. But also it's a song made up of songs. Uh, there's a whole lot of shorter poems or songs joined together. So it's a one big song made up of songs. That's where it gets its name. There are, these are not any old songs. It's, they're actually love poems or sexual poetry. One scholar called them erotic. It's an erotic psalter. Um, in our English Bible, it comes after Ecclesiastes and before Isaiah. But in the Hebrew Bible, where it lands, makes a bit more sense to me. Because in the Hebrew Bible, the order goes Proverbs, then Ruth, then Song of Songs. And if you've read Proverbs, you'll know it ends in chapter 31 with a famous bit about a virtuous woman or the wife of noble character. Um, so the book Ruth and then Song of Songs is like a, they function to present a virtuous and assertive woman for, our, for us to contemplate. Um, now the fact that it says that it belongs to Solomon is why for centuries King Solomon was thought as the author. But now hardly anyone, if anyone, thinks that. Even the, the most conservative scholars, they don't think that. Um, it's possible that he might have written one or two of them, but... We have no proof of that. Um, the truth is nobody knows who wrote them. Um, and um, perhaps what we should think of is that they are in the Solomon tradition. 
or influenced by the Solomon tradition? Well, the first poem begins in verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Straight to the point. The woman speaks her intense love for this man. You're not going to get any sex advice from Song of Songs or dating advice, unfortunately. No moral instruction either. Rather, this is all going to be about sexual desire from the beginning to the end. So if you feel awkward, I apologize. That's just the way it's going to be. This is the Bible. You know, you've got to read the Bible. She isn't holding back. She's not holding back. This is not Jane Austen who waits 300 pages for the kiss to occur. This is straight up, the first verse, you know, or second verse. She says, his love is more delightful than wine. And where the Hebrew word uh, for love in this case is the word for sexual intimacy. So in other words, she's saying, having sex with this man is better than wine. And wine here is like a symbol for the fulfilling life. She says in verse 3, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. These poems are packed with imagery. It's the book of the Bible with the most amount of imagery out of all the books of the Bible. Um, they're multi-sensory, so you get some, um, you know, taste, touch, sound, and in this case, smell. And this makes sense because erotic po poetry needs to evoke um, intense imagery, but um, it needs to do that without being crude or offensive. Smells evoke memories. Um, and, and that's what's being done here. When I, I go to a uh, holiday house that my mum has in Halls Gap, we go all the time. I've been going since I was born. And every time we open the door, this smell comes out of the, the little shack of like old carpet and woolen blankets and the wood in the fireplace. And it evokes all these memories of the holidays that I've had over my lifetime there. And this could happen with people you love. You might know someone who has a certain aftershave or perfume or shampoo, or whatever, or lack of, <laughs> and their smell uh, makes you think of them. And they, for, uh, you know, two lovers, they can bring a flood of happy memories. And so she's physically attracted to his smell. And also she's drawn to his name, which is like perfume poured out. It's not that, you know, the name itself she cares about, like Jerry or Steve or whatever. It's actually the, what the name represents, which is his amazing character. She hears his name mentioned and she goes weak at the knees. She loves him and she thinks everyone loves him too. She says, no wonder the young women love you. A person newly in love will go around telling everyone about them and think that everyone loves the same, loves them the same. They think everyone must love this person because they're so amazing. These young women that she's talking about, the young women, will feature in all the Song of Songs poems in different ways. They're also called the Daughters of Jerusalem or the Daughters of Zion. And they're from the city, but they're younger and less experienced at life than the main woman in the poems. And so they, they serve as a sounding board. She'll say things and they'll reflect or ask questions back to her. She's like the, the, the main woman's like the Marsha Brady, they're like the Jan Brady, you know Jan Brady, who was like asking all the questions, sorry, nobody's watched the Brady Bunch, so they don't know. Verse 4, she says, take me away with you, let us hurry, let us, uh, let the king bring me into his chambers. 
The woman wants her desire to be satisfied. She wants the man who sometimes she calls the king or the shepherd. Um, she wants him to take her to his bedroom and make love to her. She wants to be able to smell him up close and curl up with him under the sheets. And let's notice something really important, which is that none of this is actually happening. This is all in her imagination. She's just fantasizing here. She hasn't kissed him. He's not even there yet in the room. She's just desiring him. Well, let's jump to poem six, which starts in verse 15. And I, I'm jumping around a little bit just to join the themes together because they're all kind of link. In uh, poem number six, verse 15, starting verse 15, we see that the desire is mutual. He loves her as much as she loves him. And this is why um, I called this sermon today or named it after the Van Morrison song, Crazy Love, off his um, greatest, well, most popular album at least, not the greatest album, Moondance. And you might know it from Bridget Jones's Diary. Uh, any fans? No. Yes, no. Um, anyway, the, the song goes, I can hear her heartbeat from a thousand miles, hear the heavens open every time she smiles. And when I come to her, that's where I belong. Yet I'm running to her like a river strong. She gives me love, 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 crazy love. And this is kind of what the man says now in verse 15. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, my darling. Oh, my beautiful. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Uh, before when I was preaching in Clifton Hill, it was a classic because a pigeon flew in at that moment. <laughs> anyway, as Bart Simpson would say, I caramba. That's what he's doing here, right here. And she returns the compliment. How handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. What's more, she says their bed is like a green countryside. It's lush. And our bed is verdant, she says. And she's not just thinking about sex here, but fertility as well. Um, the association with the bed with greenery is an image of offspring. So she's saying, I want to have your babies. Now, you know you've really fallen for someone if you think that, you know, if you want to have a family together. And in fact, she's going further in her head and she's saying, we're going to build a house together. Look at verse 17. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. Well, poem seven begins in chapter two. The woman starts to be self-deprecating. I'm a rose of Sharon. Oh, Lenore said Sharon, I say Sharon. Because uh, <laughs> it actually gets the meaning across. I, no, 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 you're right, I'm wrong, but I think I'm appropriate. I, I, I'm a rose of Sharon. Um, apologies to any Sharons in the room. A lily of the valley. What she's saying is, in a self-deprecating way, I'm just an average flower. I'm not that attractive. And I think this is a little bit of false modesty as a kind of a flirting technique. Oh, I'm not that good looking. He's way hotter than me. But he turns it around in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. He's saying, no way, she's hotter than me. All the other women are thorns. <laughs> Not very nice. So she says in response, in verse 3a, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. 
Again, it's the same thing, backwards and forwards. So she's saying, no, you're more hot than me, more attractive than me. Of all the men I know, he's the best catch. And then verse 3b, I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Now, there's going to be lots of fun opportunities for innuendo in the Song of Songs. And you'll see something and you'll go, are they talking about what I think they're talking about? And usually it's yes, but not in this case. Uh, she's saying, she, she appreciates, she sits under his tree, uh, under his shade, and, 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 and his, fruit, his fruit is sweet to her, her taste. In other words, she's saying she appreciates the protection and the provision that he provides for her. And so the banter continues. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. And the banquet hall here is um, also called the wine, the wine um, house. And in some houses back then, um, they would have a room with like a wine in it and they'd just sit there and drink wine. <laughs> nice to have one of those. And um, she's already referenced wine as a symbol of love. It's that thick sweet liquid that you, you drink. It, feel, it makes you feel warm on the inside. And so what she's saying is, I am intoxicated by this man. And so she wants him to bring her to a place to make love to her. And I tell you what, that's going to change the way I sing that old vineyard song. Anyone know that song, He Brought Me to His Banqueting Table? I never realised what that was about. I don't know how, I must have been too young to understand or something. Um, anyway, she says, let his banner over me be love. And this is a military image, so um, the armies would fight and they'd be fighting under a, a flag or a standard, which would have maybe an image of the god of that army and everyone under that flag would belong to the same um, side. And so she's saying, um, I... I you know, uh, let his banner over me be loved. So, in other words, let me belong to him. Let me um, be included in his love. Let him be committed to me. And she's starting to be overwhelmed at this point. She's saying this is all too much. She starts to tremble and feel sick in the tummy. Um, and she needs to eat something to give her some strength. She says, strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. Because love can be so exhausting and overwhelming. She's going to faint. She's lovesick. They're about to get down to business, ladies and gentlemen. We can assume they're lying down now, verse 6. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. And the stage is set. My um, papa, who was my mum's dad, he's, he's American. He was American. He died a long time ago. When I was about 12 or 13, um, we were sitting in the lounge room at, at their house, watching TV, drinking a cup of tea, eating a biscuit, which we often did. And um, he gave me his one piece of sex advice out of context. I didn't ask for it. We were just watching TV and he leans over. He was a simple bloke. He worked in a factory. And he said, paint up. My mum used to say, don't lie down next to a woman unless you want to have sex with her. So don't lie down next to a woman until you're married, okay? Because you'll have sex with her. 
And I just looked at him and I went really awkward. And he sort of giggled a bit. And then I just turned and kept watching her hair Saturday. And um, <coughs> that was his one piece of advice for me. Uh, I actually don't think he said have sex. I think he said... <laughs> he said, you'll likely to... <laughs> anyway. The more experienced woman has some kind of advice for these women as well, for the, for the daughters of Jerusalem. Different advice. She says... Verse 7, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, wait for love to blossom. Don't force it. Apart from anything else, it's all-consuming. It's exhausting. It takes over your life. And that comes to the end of our three poems. So what... Do we make of these poems, why are they here in the Bible and what are they telling us? Well, the first thing they're telling us is that sexual desire is good. It should be celebrated. Song of Songs is really the only book in the Bible that does this so explicitly. Most of the marriages in the Bible are more about the covenant commitment or some sort of task that the couple have to do together. And You've got people like Boaz and Ruth or David and Abigail or... Mary and Joseph, but little is said about the desire, desire they have for each other, if anything. Um, and I think as the church over the centuries and, and Christians even in recent time have probably emphasised more the covenant side of thing, things and less the desire side of, of, of um, love and marriage. And maybe it's that we've overemphasised Proverbs 31 verse 30, you know, which says... Um, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And that's it. That's true advice from the Proverbs. But if that's all you have, you'll get this bad advice that I got from my CU leader when I was in second year uni. I was sitting there in the coffee lounge at Melbourne Uni and he said to me that the only thing I needed um, in a marriage partner was somebody of the opposite sex who was a committed Christian, full stop. And the reason, Proverbs 31.30, you know, desire will come, it will come over time, it, you know, um, it'll grow, love will grow. It, it's this kind of uh, reductionistic view of what relationships are like, and Song of Songs blows that out of the water. That's just wrong. Um, as you think about the boundaries of sexual behaviour for the Christian disciple, don't forget that desire is really important. And sex is good. It's not just for making babies. And Song of Songs shows us that it's really important and good for women to experience sexual desire and for men to experience sexual desire as well. So if you experience sexual desire, don't, um, don't feel shame or guilt. I mean, we all do get mixed feelings and confusion around sexual desire. And I'll get into a bit in a second about why that happens but actually, you can tell yourself, actually, this is okay. God made me this way. We are sexual beings. Sexuality is a huge part of the human experience. And God has spoken through these po poets to encourage us and to also warn us about the power of sex. We had a warning there at the end of the third poem. The scholar uh, Tremper Longman, he writes, God is interested in us as a whole people. We are not souls encased in a husk of flesh. The song celebrates the joys of physical touch. 
the exhilaration of exotic scents, the sweet sound of an intimate voice, the taste of another's body. So sexual desire is a good thing. The second thing it shows us is that it's a picture of sexuality redeemed. See, as we read these poems of idealised desire, we all think to ourselves, well, I mean, you know, that's, that's nice and everything. Romeo and Juliet. But we know that this is not the way it is for us. That's not our experience. Um, we know that sexuality is broken. From the time of the Garden of Eden, humanity has had broken sexuality. Adam and Eve went from the purity and the innocence of the garden, naked and unashamed, and then sinning and selfishness coming in and deceit. And um, so sexuality became broken. They covered themselves to protect their shame. Childbirth becomes painful. Power imbalance comes into the gender relationship. So God says... Uh, to, to the woman, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And we all know that sexuality is broken. We don't need Adam and Eve to show us this. We've experienced it for ourselves. We, re- we carry regret and shame and unfulfilled desire. Our desire is rarely, if ever, completely fulfilled. This is the case for all people. If you're a single Christian... And, and you are a single Christian who rejects hookup culture and the idea of friends with benefits, you have to, in an ongoing fashion, wrestle with your sexual desire. Um, but also, you need to know that Song of Songs affirms uh, that you have physical needs. I remember once uh, sitting in church uh, and a younger, inexperienced preacher was preaching and they were talking about themes like this, and they, they got into the issue of singleness, and they said, um, wrongly, if you're a single person and you're um, feeling lonely and uh, overwhelmed with sexual desire, you need to get over it because you have Jesus. And uh, I just cringed in the front row, and I was like, this is awful. And... Next to me was sitting Anthea McCall, who, who died last year, but was part of our church. And she's a single lady, and she was a minister as well. She leaned over to me and said, yeah, but you can't cuddle up to Jesus at night, can you? <laughs> it, the reality is uh, that single people have to wrestle with sexual desire, but also marriage, married people do too. While married people might have moments of sexual fulfilment, it doesn't last. And it's always infected with uh, difficulties and struggles, misunderstandings, selfishness. We all carry regrets, baggage, and many of us carry pain associated with sexual encounters and abuse. So when we read the perfect, intense desire of Song of Songs, which is almost, but not completely perfect, um, what we're looking at is an image of sexuality redeemed. It shows us the healing of intimacy. And as we read on, we'll see that even for the lovers in the Song of Songs, the healing is not fully accomplished. 
on the one hand, their union is celebrated and it shows us that intimacy does happen in this world. On the other hand, the poems show that lapses occur, even in the best relationships. And the thing that we're to see is that the redemption of our intimacy and of human relationships, like the redemption that we experience with our relationship with God, is an already but not yet phenomenon. In other words, it does happen now, but it will fully happen in the new heavens, the new earth, when Jesus returns. And we don't really know what marriage and sex is like in heaven. Um, We think we do a little bit know, a little bit, from a glimpse from Jesus, from Luke 20. But what he says is a bit hard to unpack. He says to the Sadducees who were trying to trick him out, because the Sadducees don't believe in heaven or the resurrection, and they say, oh, Jesus, there's this woman, and she's married to this one bloke, and he dies, and so she marries his brother, and he dies, and so she marries his brother, and he dies, and then this happens seven times, and then she dies. Which one is he married to in heaven? And Jesus isn't tricked by this, and he says, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age And in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage and they can no longer die for they are like the angels. And because of this one statement, it's easy to think that there's no concept of sexuality or intimacy in heaven or there's other other kind of divine thing. But we really don't know. We don't really know what the angels are like. So we don't want to jump to a kind of a sterile picture of heaven or a non-sensual understanding of what Jesus is trying to say here. But what we do know is that both our relationship with God and our relationship with each other will be healed and completely restored in heaven. And this brings me to the concluding thing I want to say about what these poems tell us, which is that they exist in a broader biblical context where... Um, there is this big theme from the beginning of the Bible right through to the end of God's relationship with his people being like a marriage. God is the perfect lover in this big story. He shows the crazy love in this story and it's demonstrated in the craziest way by Jesus dying on the cross. That is the ultimate picture of crazy love. And as we wrestle with our experience of sexual desire in this life, whether married or single, we are to turn to the greater reality, which is God himself. As we learn more about marriage, we will learn about our relationship with God. Because marriage is a mirror of the relationship between God and his people. There's only two uh, mutually exclusive relationships that humans can have. They can have one with a spouse and they can have one with God. In eternity, though, we just need to know that God's love for us will be so intense and fulfilling that we will, at that day, know what it's like to be perfectly loved. So let me just give you a glimpse of that from Revelation 19, verse 6 to 8. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. 
For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for these poems, for the whole book of Song of Songs, and that you really know us, and you love us, and you know that we are sexual beings. We thank you for sexual desire, and we pray that as we continue to read through Song of Songs, we pray that you help us to understand our sexuality, our, who we are as sexual beings, and how you've made us, but also know your intense and perfect love for us. Amen.